welcome to uh, the final instalment of the e-commerce customer lifecycle with me, Keir Whitaker, and as always, live from Boston, uh, Ross. How are you, Ross? Great, Keir. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. The sun's shining here. I understand that uh, not not the case in Boston. <laughs> no, it's been uh, it's been nothing but snow the last couple of weeks. <laughs> yes. Uh, ho- hopefully, you're nice and warm in your office. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, we'll stay that way for the next thirty minutes or so. So this, uh, as I said at the beginning, there, this is the the final instalment. We've uh, made five episodes and um, this originally was going to be focusing on this notion of uh, gross profit per visitor but uh, since we last spoke you've uh, kind of reimagined it a little bit and have uh, kind of broadened out the scope so we're going to term this episode uh, analytics is that is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. I, I kind of look at the whole sort of bucket. There's four things that we're going to talk about today. Uh, we kind of label it as measurement analytics yeah. being uh, the first one um, that we probably want to dive into. And then uh, the other three are conversion optimization. Uh, the third is what we like to call the customer hub. And then the last is performance metrics. Yeah, exactly. So just to just to recap where we where we ended up in episode four, that was that was all around retention, how you can kind of uh, keep customers coming back, incentivize them if you like, uh, and referral schemes and that kind of stuff. And I think obviously that that cycle kind of feeds back into itself, but you really want to be looking at how effective are all these strategies working. And I think this is what we're going to talk about quite a bit today, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, measurement really is that. It's the way we like to phrase it. It's it's after you've done you know all four activities within the e-commerce customer lifecycle, driving people to your site, getting them to buy, getting them the product, getting them to come back. Measurement is just making sure all of it's profitable, making sure you're doing the right things, you're on the right track, you're you know growing steadily, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So why don't we kick it off with with the first one, which um, you've called analytics. What what do you mean by that? Yeah. So analytics for us is truly just the sort of data side. So how are you capturing uh, data across your website, across your marketing strategies, uh, you know, any other web properties that you have? Basically, just how are you getting uh, raw data that we could then use and analyze as we get further into this sort of measurement phase? Right. So are we just talking Google Analytics here or have you got some other ones up your sleeve? Yeah. So Google Analytics is by far the the sort of quick uh, first um sort of uh, first step to take in getting your analytics strategy fleshed out. Out of the box, Google Analytics is fantastic. Uh, there is this sort of additional component that I think they've called now e- just e-commerce integration, mm. where you can actually tie it into your e-commerce platform. Shopify you know, does a great job integrating with it. And what it actually does is instead of just getting traditional uh, traffic data, you know, where you're visitors are coming from, how long they spend on your website, you're also able to actually pull in uh, conversion data. So, you know, which customers have purchased which products at what volumes, you know, for what prices. So now all of a sudden, instead of saying, uh, hey, you know, our mobile visitors uh, spend um, a minute less on our site than our desktop visitors, once you get this additional uh, data, now you can say, yeah, it might be a minute less, but they're spending twice as much money or something along those lines. I mean, there's some really interesting insights once you pull the actual uh, purchase data in there. How easy is that to to kind of digest? I know it's relatively easy to to set up um, within Shopify, for example, but uh, if you if you're new to this game, how how easy is that to kind of uh, you know get get your head around once you open up Google Analytics? Yeah, that's, it's a good question. I mean, I think they, they've done a, a good job continuing to improve the interface, um, you know, making it more and more, uh, sort of accessible. They've got a great series of tutorials. Um, you know, they've got videos, they've got all that kind of stuff. Believe it or not, actually, there's another analytics platform out there, out there called Kiss Metrics. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. and Kiss Metrics, I think, has 
almost better documentation on Google Analytics than Google Analytics does. They have some, their blog is just full of unbelievable walkthroughs, videos, just step by steps. Uh, honestly, anytime I have a question with Google Analytics, I usually go there first, uh, or Google, you know, Kiss Metrics and then whatever question I have. Uh, they've done a great job putting together, uh, tutorials and such. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. So do, do Kiss Metrics, um, play a part in, in, you know, your arsenal of tools at all for this kind of stuff or not? Yeah, so a lot of our clients, um, you know, they either don't have the bandwidth, uh, the, the budget, or sometimes the, the sort of interest to really get too, too uh, robust with their analytics. You know, so I think in a lot of instances, just Google and Shopify's uh, reporting tools are, are a great way for them to kind of get up and running. For those that are interested in, um, you know, slightly more sophisticated or more detailed analytics, particularly around kind of conversion funnel analysis. Mm. So really understanding every single step that your customers are taking from the moment they enter your website to the moment they make their purchase. Um, Kissmetrics is great. Mixpanel is another great platform. Yeah, I've heard quite a lot about that. It um, seems to be, you know, more, more written on that uh, in the last year or so. Yeah, yeah. And I think particularly with uh, conversion funnel analysis, and they do other things, event tracking, things like that. But yeah, they're particularly good at that. And then if you really, really want to get a... Um, sophisticated and, and nuanced there are platforms like rj metrics which allow you to really do some pretty cool stuff data wise uh but a lot of times you know a little a little more overkill for some of smaller retailers yeah so if you're if you're just starting out and you know you whack on google analytics for want of a better phrase what what are the, some of the i guess uh headline things that you should look for um if this is your first foray into sort of uh, e-commerce kind of analytics yeah. Yeah. So one thing I always recommend to our clients, uh, it, once you set up Google Analytics, you also want to set up Google Webmaster Tools. Um, some of the data that you can get from Google Analytics, particularly around uh, search engine optimization, actually requires you to have Google Webmaster Tools set up. Uh, it's very easy. It's free, like every Google product pretty much. Um, once you have it set up, really what Google Webmaster Tools does is allows you to uh, just sort of audit, you know, or, or kind of review how Google is perceiving your website. So things like, um, you know, how's your sitemaps are, are set up, how your, uh, robots file are, are set up, how, um, you know, how often and how Google is crawling your website. Do you have any 404 errors? Very technical stuff, but all important, uh, data to understand around the performance of your site and could impact your, your SEO. Mm. Uh, so that's, that's another recommendation that we always have for our clients. Cool. Do you offer kind of any services um, at GrowSpark where you, you'll take this data and then make recommendations from it? Or do you kind of just sit down and coach people through what to look for uh, as part of the process? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, so the analytics piece of measurement is really just about the data collection. The second piece, actually, uh, what we call sort of conversion optimization, hmm. is really about how do you how do you sort of take that data and start to build on that? How do you test how do you experiment? How do you use that data to uh, make changes and see the impact it might have on your on your performance? Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's uh, an unnatural segue. <laughs> let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's go. Yes. Uh, let's go into that then. So um, yeah, element two: conversion optimization. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So just to keep it simple, and you know, there's certainly a lot more nuance involved, but to keep it simple, we like to look at it as either quantitative testing or qualitative testing. So quantitative testing is really about um, isolating very specific things 
and testing to see if changes to those elements are going to have an impact on your website. And what you're testing for could be conversion, you know, so can we get more people to buy? Could be uh, order size, can we get them to spend more per order? Could be engagement, can we get them to spend more time on the website? Could be any particular uh, metric that you're trying to test. I think some of the things that we've learned when it comes to sort of the quantitative testing um, is you really want to isolate one element at a time. That's known as A-B testing. So if I have this button and it's red and then I make it blue, let's see what impact that has on customer behavior. Right. Um, you can also do something called multivariate testing where you're starting to pull in more than one variable. Uh, it starts to get a little sophisticated. You have to certainly know what you're doing and you also have to have enough uh, of a sample size to make sure it's relevant. Um, one mistake that we have seen clients making, you know, they've got a thousand people coming to their website per month. They're trying to do A-B testing. You know, it's really hard to draw any um, sort of really statistically relevant data or, or, or sort of insights from tests that small. So it's really something that we are excited to help our clients do, but only if they're at sort of a certain traffic threshold. Mm, right. That makes sense. That makes sense. So what are the things, I mean, what, what would be a, a typical thing that you might uh, choose to test for a, for a new store sort of a couple of months in? Yeah, so a couple of things that um, sort of immediately come to mind. I would say the first sort of quickest win is anything related to content. So specifically messaging or product images. Um, it's amazing the impact that good photography will have on uh, customer engagement and certainly customer conversion. And same thing with with copywriting. You know, do you you know do you have interesting product titles? Are you putting interesting descriptions on your pages? Anything that could impact the story that you're sort of telling mm. around your brand. Um, that's usually the first thing we like to pay attention to. You could also get into structural testing. So should we have a sidebar or not? Should we have the buy button on the left or the right? Uh, should we have the image on the left or the right? So just sort of structural design tests. And then uh, you, of course, could do sort of the aesthetic design tests. Should we use certain fonts, certain colors, um, certain button sizes, anything that might uh, sort of impact the UI? Um, it, outside of sort of the content structure and uh, design, there are other things that you can test, product pricing, um, shipping offers, promos, things like that. Um, those are to get a little more sophisticated, and we, we try to have our clients fo first focus on getting their content and structure and design narrowed down, and then get into more of the, the product testing, if you will. Yeah, so obviously there's a lot there. How much of a time span would you give? Because obviously you don't want to test everything at once, because if there's an upturn or a downturn, you're really not going to know what uh, necessarily made that happen. So what's a typical sort of time frame for, let's say you're optimizing on the buy button microcopy. What would you, I, I guess, how long would you you give that to sort of prove the numbers? Yeah, that's a good question. So, uh, you know, I don't know if it's as much um, duration in terms of days or weeks or months as much as it is just traffic volumes. Right, yeah. Um, you know, I think if we can if we can get 10,000 people to a page you can get pretty confident with um you know with the results that you're getting a thousand people you know you might get some sense of a pattern but i think if you can get 10,000 people over the span of a couple of weeks you know especially because you want to make sure that you're not isolating by one particular day you know a friday versus a sunday versus a wednesday you're probably going to have very different um buying cycles and traffic patterns so it, it makes sense to at least spread it out over the course of a whole week if not mm. a few weeks um, seasonality obviously is going to have an impact. I mean, you, you have to sort of keep in mind the natural uh, sort of cycles of your particular business and if any of that might impact the results that you get. So I guess testing the buy button on, uh, you know, Cyber Monday might not be the best. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Probably not. You want to get that one fleshed out first. <laughs> so um, 
how how far after launch of a site would you kind of instigate some of this testing? That's a good question. I mean, we we're we're very happy to kind of do it um, almost right away. You know, if we're doing a, a custom design site, we might launch it, give it a couple of weeks, just to kind of smooth out any any questions or any bugs or anything like that. But once we're once we're confident in in the initial sort of design of a site, um, we're happy to get into the conversion optimization pretty pretty quickly. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Are there any um, other tools out there that people could could use for that besides the Google ones? I mean, I've heard good things about uh, Optimizely, for example. Yeah, Optimizely is great. Um, there's actually a Shopify plugin. I think it's called Facadify, I want to say, um, that does A-B testing. Um, it's Google. Google certainly has some great tools. I think it's Google Website Experiments. Um, and there's also Visual Website Optimizer. I yep. think is the other one that uh, that we'll use often. I think uh, some of these tools you know, four or five years ago used to be, uh, particularly the Google one, was, was quite involved. You'd have to you know paste distinct you know, swathes of JavaScript into the page and, and it would take time for it to sort of filter back through. But with the likes of Visual Website Optimizer and Optimizely, it's, it's literally a case of um, you know, a line of code and then you can start editing almost the page as as you see it and, and creating these experiments. It's, uh, it's certainly come a long way in the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. And some of those other tools that we mentioned earlier on the analytics side, like Mixpanel, um, actually have built-in A-B testing capabilities as well. Okay, so just just finally, sort of round out this kind of notion of testing an AB. What what uh, can you expect to necessarily see huge swings? I mean, if something's like sixty forty, does that give you a, a good enough insight, or, or are you really looking for kind of like, wow, we changed that, we made the button bigger, and you know, eighty percent upturn type thing? I mean, or or is it a bit more, I guess, gray area? How do you, how do you kind of take those results and then make a solid decision? I guess is the question. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it, it's definitely, it definitely gets gray. Um, it also depends on, you know, the business, the nature of the business. If it's cyclical at all, that's something you want to keep in mind. Um, I think one thing that people will often, they'll often, um, sort of divorce the two and you have to think about the impact that they have is how the traffic methods that you're, so the way that you're getting people to your website, your marketing channels and the experience that you provide them on the site. So what might work for SEO traffic? isn't necessarily going to be as effective for social media traffic or for paid traffic. Not necessarily, but it's something to keep in mind, right? If, mm. if you're getting a ton of traffic here uh, from, you know, a Facebook campaign that you're running and, you know, you're driving huge volumes to a page and you're getting great results, and then all of a sudden uh, you look at the organic traffic and try to sort of see how things are performing, you might see a difference there just because, again, when you're doing paid, uh, you know, paid traffic or paid advertising, you're very aggressive and specific with your messaging. You're driving them with a, to a particular page, typically for a very specific offering. So you tend to have a very kind of direct conversion funnel. Um, whereas sometimes with organic, someone might be stumbling across your site via your blog or a landing page or some sort of back channel and then kind of just navigate around. They might not be as sort of aggressive in, in sort of the conversion cycle. Mm-hmm. So some of those things are, are important to keep in mind. Um, I would say when you're when you're kind of looking looking at this world of of testing, yeah, and just to just around the south, and it kind of incorporates um, you know analytics and, and conversion optimization in a sense. When we're talking about third party tools like maybe a Mailchimp campaign or a campaign monitor campaign or or something on on Twitter, we can append certain um, uh, query strings to those, can't we? So that they then feed back into our analytics packages. So we can we can also measure the effectiveness of those. Is that right? 
Yeah, actually, something I forgot to mention uh, as it relates to sort of analytics, the first piece of, of measurement is uh, Google UTM tags. So uh, the UTM tags are basically a way for you to say, hey, I want to run a campaign, whatever that might mean, um, and I want to track the sort of traffic behaviors and, and customer engagement behaviors, et cetera, for a specific campaign. So for instance, you might say, okay, we're going to um, highlight a new product that we're launching. We're going to write, you know, four guest blog posts across other websites. Uh, we're going to create a landing page on our own site and set up four different advertisements on Facebook and Twitter. And what you want to measure is how well that whole campaign, right, that particular initiative of this product launch sort of behaves or, or sort of uh, works. So you could create a UTM tag for the link so that every link you put on those blog posts and on those advertisements to that landing page, they're all the same or they're tagged all the same. So that way you can see specifically how well this this group of links basically behaves. Mm. Um which can be which can be interesting, can be helpful, you know, if you're doing more structured, uh, you know, marketing. I know as well. Just to to sort of honestly round this section out, um, things like social campaigns, things like Buffer App, they can they can measure sort of click throughs and kind of engagement and reach and things like that. Do you ever? Uh, and Twitter itself has its own analytics package now. I'm not sure whether that's uh, paid or not, but. Do you ever look at things like that, or do you really just try and get everything back in, into one package, such as Google uh, Google Analytics? Yeah, um, you know we're a big fan of Bitly. We use Bitly for link shortening mm. and, and sort of link tracking. That's great. Buffer's great, certainly. Um, Hootsuite. I mean, all all these platforms add uh, you know additional data, which is helpful. Um, you know, you can also get data overload to some to some extent. And I think when we when we talk a little bit about the customer hub in a bit, we can talk um, about that sort of notion of, of data overload. But uh, but yeah, I mean, th- you know, the way I look at it. Any additional data you can get uh, can be helpful. Just make sure you're paying attention to the metrics that are most important. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. So um, yeah. you, you've alluded to the the customer hub uh, in conversations we've had, and also uh, at different times during the, during the show. Um, tell us a bit more about it. And uh, you know, I know you've got your own take on it, but uh, I guess it's it sounds like a way of bringing all this data into one spot so you can easily consume it. Would that be right? Yeah, I mean that's exactly it. So. The way that we like to think about it, you know, with this whole sort of five-step uh, life cycle, you've got your customers. So they make a purchase on, let's say, Shopify. So they have a Shopify customer profile. They have an order history. Um, but they might also have a support ticket that they submit through Zendesk or Help Scout or something like that. They might also interact with newsletters that you send out via MailChimp or, you know, Campaign Monitor. Um, they might also have, uh, you know, been hit with a retargeting uh, pixel via Facebook. There's all these different platforms that you're using in your interactions with customers across the kind of, you know, five steps of the e-commerce customer lifecycle. And the the real holy grail um, is to be able to take all those sort of profiles, customer profiles and data points and aggregate them into one place. So ideally, you'd be able to say, here's Ross Byler, here's exactly, you know, what ads he's clicked, clicked. Here's exactly, you know, what things he's downloaded on a website. Here's exactly the things he's purchased. Here's exactly the emails that he's opened. Here's exactly the tickets that he's, you know, submitted. So really having a very, very robust profile of, uh, of your customers. Um, really typically a tie to email addresses seems to be sort of the, the unifying, um, element, right? Because that, that usually is sort of the same across all these platforms, not necessarily, but it's usually how people are, are tying this data together. Um, and the, the process of actually kind of creating your customer hub, uh, you can actually do in a couple different manners. Um, so 
the sort of easiest might be more expensive, but the easiest is to look to a CRM or marketing automation tool, uh, you know, like a Marketo or an exact target or a Salesforce. And with some configuration, kind of use those as your central repository for all this data, right, from these different platforms. Right, yeah. Um, so that works. Uh, the other method that works is actually, and this is a lot more labor intensive, uh, but sometimes more flexible and, and certainly more low cost, is exporting data from multiple sources and then sort of combining that in Excel, right, in a spreadsheet tool, um, you know, pivoting the data together so that you can sort of say, okay, here's Ross Byler, here's the profile we have from him on these five platforms, pull it together, and then build out, you know, almost like a custom uh, dashboard right within Excel. It's much harder, um, but it certainly is doable. The other um, the other method that sort of works in terms of getting the data synced up across these different platforms, whether you're using a CRM, a marketing automation tool, or your own homegrown database or spreadsheet, there are uh, two platforms in particular that we're, we're big fans of. Um, one is called Wombat, and the other one is called Zapier. So Wombat mm. allows you to uh, basically set up um, rules where if something happens in one platform, so let's say an order is created in Shopify, then something else happens in another platform. So right. let's say you know a, a support ticket profile is created in Desk.com. Um, and Zapier does the same thing. Wombat's a little more oriented around e-commerce, a little more sophisticated, uh, but both platforms are, are very helpful in the sort of integration uh, aspect. Yeah, I've heard some um, really interesting stories of how people have used these kind of tools to bridge uh, different platforms together to sort of centralize the data. And I think um, I haven't looked at Wombat, but certainly Zapier or Zapier, however you say it, uh, has got some amazing things you can do with that. You know, like link it up to Google Drive. If you have a sale, it does this. It puts a line in in a, in a spreadsheet in Google and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Um, I've also noticed, as, as you said, that a lot of these... Um, for want of a better phrase, sort of ticketing systems or help desks now have a lot of integrations with third-party platforms so that they are maybe trying to be that hub as well. Certainly on Help Scout, you can import, um, again, I think it's linked up via email. If someone's, you know, if Ross has bought from my store and then he's emailed me into my uh, Help Scout account, I can kind of access your previous orders and things like that. So again, it's, it's these little things. It might not be the full-blown database, but it's giving you that kind of easy to kind of marry up, ah, oh, okay, he's a loyal customer. I can see that without having to go back to my sort of uh, customer dashboard and so forth. So I think there's um, a lot of integrations out there and I think they'll continue to you know, integrate more as well. But it's very interesting that you say that you can kind of join all the dots up with these kind of third-party services. Is, um, yeah. is, is, is uh, Wombat a paid service or is that something that they are currently open to anyone? Uh, Wombat is a paid service. I know Zapier has, um, I think it's up to five integrations you can set up mm. for free. Um, but you get, you know, certainly better performance and, and more access as you start to pay. Um, yeah, I mean, you, I'd say customers would have to look at each of the platforms and kind of compare the two. So what are the big wins there for having all that data in, in one place? Would you, would you use it to sort of find really loyal customers who've maybe engaged with your, you know, your email campaigns, maybe bought a lot from you? at replied you on twitter a lot i mean what or is it just a case of just trying to work out i don't know uh certain trends or things like that yeah that's a great question i mean it's uh you kind of hit the nail on the head if you think back to the last episode that we talked about um sort of customer retention so in that we talked about uh support we talked about referral marketing we talked about uh, loyalty programs 
Um, we talked about, you know, all sorts of elements to get people to buy again and again. With with the sort of customer hub, uh, and one of the other ones in particular were um, sort of email marketing, marketing automation. With this idea of a customer hub, when you can start to build more robust profiles of your customers, then you can get into uh, some of the segmenting strategy that we talked about as it relates to email marketing um, with much higher effectiveness. Now you can say, here are all my customers who not only haven't purchased in the last, you know, year, but they also have remained highly engaged with us via social media, or they've been very engaged with our, you know, email newsletters. You know, now you can start to look at your segments in, in more fashions than just purchase data. Um, mm-hmm. You can really start to say, you know, hey, is this customer actually profitable? Maybe you have, um, you know, 10% of your customers that make up, you know, 90% of your support tickets. Maybe you don't want to necessarily market to those customers if they continue to complain over and over again. Um, you know, there are ways that you can uh, kind of use the use the data to sort of inform your customer segmentation strategy. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. So I hadn't thought of it in the uh, in the reverse sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess that leads nicely into sort of section four, which is performance metrics. Uh, we, we've touched on a couple there. But um, yeah, if you, how would you expand on that? What what other things would you be looking to uh, measure the performance of? Yeah, so performance metrics really sort of takes the question of okay, we've got analytics coming in, all this raw data, we've got conversion optimization and tests, and we're trying to improve things. You know, customer hub, we're trying to build these rich customer profiles and segment things, and kind of be more effective in our communication with them. Performance metrics uh, sort of act as the the north star, right? So they are. What you, you what you should be focused on most heavily in all of the sort of measurement strategy. Um, so, you know, we in particular have uh, one number that we really like, which we can talk about in a sec. But when it comes to when it comes to running a business in general, whether it's e-commerce or not, one uh, very common sort of management strategy is to identify clear goals. Okay, we want to grow our sales by thirty percent this year, but having a goal and having a measurable a measurable goal is great. What's even more powerful is if you can day to day, hour to hour, have a number that indicates whether or not you're on track. That gives you even more powerful insight as to how your strategies are actually uh, executed. So these are often referred to as KPIs, key performance indicators. Mm. Basically, they're numbers that you can look at and say, okay, are we on track to hit our goal? So a good example of that would be, let's say you want to improve sales by 30%. So figure out what that number is. Well, 30% for us, let's see, we did a million last year, so that's going to be $300,000. So we want to make, we want to generate another $300,000 of revenue over the course of 12 months. All right, well, that's $40,000 per month. Okay, so that's $10,000 per week. All right, and our average order size is 100. Now we have 100 orders, 100 additional orders per week we need to generate. So now instead of saying, Hey, have we achieved our 30% growth goal, which you won't really know until the end of the year? Instead, you can say, okay, week by week, are we hitting 100 new orders? Are we hitting 100 new orders? And every Monday, you can run that report and see, well, last week was 90, next week was 120. So you can actually have an almost real-time indication as to how well you're on track of achieving your longer-term goal. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So what... Um... I mean, how, how, how much time is involved in sort of sitting down and working out all this analysis? How do you kind of go through the, uh, and pick out the KPIs, the performance metrics with your clients? Yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, we really try to keep the, the, the goals to a, a, a small a number as possible. I mean, one to three uh, is really what you should be focused on. Any more than that, you're just, you're going to be all over the place. Um, 
you know, once you, once you figure out your one, two, or three goals, then you might have one to three KPIs associated with each of them. So you might say, Hey, you know, to get 30% of growth, we need 100 new orders per week. But you could also say, we just need to increase our average order size by $5 or whatever it might be. Mm. So you might look at it and sort of say, what are some different tactics or different um, indicators that we're on track? And you might find one, two, or three KPIs that help sort of uh, demonstrate that you're you're going in the right right direction of accomplishing that goal. Um, so you really try to keep that as as small as possible. So yeah, ideally, I guess you'd want your your customer hub to really focus in on those uh, those KPIs um, to give you sort of that real time analysis. Yeah, I mean that would absolutely be the the holy grail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, you alluded to it earlier, and this was going to be the focus of of this episode five, but obviously in the interim, as I said at the beginning, you've done a, a lot more work on on sort of broadening out and thinking through this whole kind of measurement uh, element to the life cycle but um the gpv why don't you tell us a little bit more about that yeah absolutely so gpv gross profit per visitor is one of our um sort of favorite metrics to think about when it comes to e-commerce you know a lot of people think about total number of visitors to your site uh you know average order size conversion rate these are all sort of uh, elements that play into the gpv calculation um but i think what gpv gross profit per visitor really does is it gives you a number that you know, in and of itself, you can start to make decisions with. So let me kind of run you through an example as to how you'd calculate it. So let's say your website on a monthly basis gets a thousand visitors and you have a 5% conversion rate. So out of a thousand visitors, you're generating 50 orders. Uh, if you're generating 50 orders, let's say your average order size is a hundred dollars. So then your total revenue per month is going to be $5,000. So then what you're going to do is you're going to ask yourself, okay, what is our average, uh, let's say, order margin? So we'll talk about in a, in a bit around how to segment this stuff even further. But mm. let's say your average order margin across all your products is 50%. So now you're making $2,500 in profit out of uh, a 1,000 visitors that are coming to your website. So what that means is you're making $2.50 for every visitor that's coming to your website. Now, what's interesting about that number is now you know that you can spend up to $2.50 to acquire every customer to your site. Now, this kind of takes out of consideration lifetime value, repeat purchases. I mean, that that sort of builds on top of the, the idea of gross profit per visitor. But if you were to say, what is a number that allows me to know on my first customer, on the first order, I can break even, it would be $2.50 in that, in that particular case. Mm, right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to do numbers when you haven't got them in front of your head is, uh, you're obviously more, way more skilled this, uh, than, than me. Yeah, cool. So is there anything else to add on that or, or is that kind of, uh, any, any other, any other sort of, uh, headline grabbing, uh, performance metrics that uh, people should be wary of? Yeah. So I think, you know, sort of the first, so with GPV, the first thing to do is just figure out your, your what global GPV is what we call it. So across every, you know, without any kind of segmentation at all, just total visitors, total orders, all that kind of stuff. That's your sort of global GBV. From there, um, you can start to get a little more specific and sophisticated. So then you can say, okay, well, what is our GBV on desktop versus mobile visitors? Mm, right, yeah. What is our GBV on domestic versus international? What's our GBV on you know paid versus SEO versus direct versus social traffic? Um, you can really start to take that number and, and break it across as many demographics as you can come up with. The one challenge there, of course, is you want to make sure that the sizes of your segments are uh, relevant enough. So if you said, hey, we've got, you know, a thousand visitors. Well, if you break that into every country, you know, that you sell to <laughs> or the, where those visitors are coming from, uh, you might see, 
you know, you got one guy from Brazil who purchased from you. So now you're saying, wow, that, you know, a Brazilian customer is going to be worth $5,000. <laughs> That's not necessarily true. You have to have, you know, uh, sort of volumes that are, are statistically relevant enough. So just like with conversion optimization, we sort of uh, warn our clients to sort of use this as a, a nice indicator, leading indicator. Um, but don't take it 100% uh, for word if you start getting too, too narrow with your segmentation. Yeah, as, as with anything, statistics can always... Uh tell you whatever you want really i guess it's yeah exactly uh, it's just uh just being conscious of the sample size as, as well as yep. uh, any of the blips excellent cool well i um i think that's covered all all four areas um so uh, we t- talked about the analytics side the conversion optimization uh the holy grail of the customer hub um and and those performance metrics in particular the uh, the gross profit per visitor um, which kind of brings us to the end of this little series, uh, all about the e-commerce customer lifecycle. Um, and uh, I guess it's uh, just for me to say, uh, if, you, if you've listened to episode five, thank you so much. I hope you found it useful. And we will be talking uh, more about these concepts and uh, ideas uh, um, in, in some form or another in the, in the coming months. Uh, if you'll join me again, Ross. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's been nothing but a pleasure, Kier. Hopefully, uh, hopefully our listeners have gotten a couple things out of this. Um, I'm looking forward to putting more stuff out there. This is something we're very passionate about uh, for all of our clients and for any e-commerce entrepreneur. So we're excited to spread the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. So just uh, just round off, Ross. Uh, please um, leave all your contact details. Uh, where where can people find you online, and if they want to get in touch with you uh, on email and that kind of stuff. Yep, absolutely. So on Twitter, I'm at R Byler, R B E Y E L E R. Also at GrowthSpark. Um, GrowthSpark.com is our website. You can reach me at Ross at GrowthSpark.com at any time. Brilliant. Well, um, just feel a little strange signing off, but we, as I say, we will be back uh, in some form, uh, either written or audio form, in the future. Or uh, yes, if you are listening to this, uh, also keep an eye out for events. Uh, Ross and I collaborate on. Uh, well, we'll be collaborating on workshops throughout the year and uh, various other events. So if you'd like to come and say hello um, and learn more about this kind of stuff, uh, we'd, uh, we'd love to see you there. So thanks for listening. Cheers.